1: To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Greg Dogoff. He's an associate professor at University of Pittsburgh in the Department of Immunology. I'm going to talk about his work there. So, Greg, thank you for coming. Thank you. Yeah, if you would, tell me about your research. What are you focused on?
2: Well, so so my research is really kind of focused on the regulation of the immune response what turns on i've always been kind of fascinated about why your immune system turns on and off mainly because we have diseases like autoimmunity where your immune system attacks your healthy tissues and then we've also have diseases where the immune system doesn't work right like in cancer when when your immune system doesn't clear those those tumor cells away and so i've kind of always been in, in, interested in in how your immune system senses its environment and uh a lot of people study this. A lot of people study how how your immune system gets signals from, from the various cells of your body. Uh my particular interest in this field is is really about about food, about how does an immune how does an immune cell, and I study for the most part, T cells, uh, which are kind of lymphocytes that that find uh foreign or, or or abnormal invaders and um and eliminate them. And so we study how T cells get their food. How do they find, uh, their fuel? How do they, how do they make their metabolism work? And what we've really uncovered over the, the course of the last, you know, seven or so years as I've been, um, kind of running my group is that T cells are extremely sensitive to the, the levels of nutrients that are in their environment. And so, you know, when, when T cells get into various tissues, because you remember your immune system needs to go into all different types of tissues and, and find the invaders, if you will, and, and remove them you know, when T cells get into into tissues that are, that have different levels of nutrients, it can really change how they function. And so we've been really exploring this from a very basic perspective in some cases, but, but really the lab is a lot of focus in cancer, about how to turn your immune system on to cancer and how to fuel your immune system uh, to fight cancer cells.
1: So, um, you know, these would be some elementary questions, but what are the uh, different cell types that comprise your immune system and where are they made?
2: That's a great question. So you have, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting when you start talking about immunology. Um, it usually, you know, a lot of times it goes over people's heads because you know, there's just so many different cells and, they, and there's not really like an organ. They're kind of everywhere. But, you know, the main players in your body, right, is that you've got this kind of like first line of defense against, you know, pathogens and you have these, you know, these cells that exist in your body. That kind of eat stuff, you know, we call them macrophages or we have these neutrophil type cells. And these are cells that basically just kind of eat indiscriminately if it looks weird, essentially. And those are the kind of your first line of defense. We call that your innate immune system, the kind of the features of your immune system that are just there and they, they look for weird stuff like bacteria or viruses and they just kind of, you know, gobble. But the real trained soldiers, if you will, in your immune system, are your lymphocytes. And so we have two different types of lymphocytes for the most part, maybe three if you're, you know, really getting into it. But the most well-known are your T cells and they have different flavors and lineages that you can study. But, and your T cells, you know, they basically kind of run the show. They look for pieces of material that look foreign and then they kind of tell the other cells in the immune system, those innate immune cells, as well as other lymphocytes what to do. And so they kind of direct the immune response by secreting chemical messengers uh, that the other cells sense. And they can also yeah, which, directly... Yeah, which, which, which cells are these, the ones that, that orchestrate? Uh, these are T cells. And so these okay. T cells are, are essentially like the generals of the army, so to speak. And so they, they, you know, they can really manage and, and really direct the entire immune response. And a few of them actually uh, are actually cytotoxic. They actually can go up against an infected cell or a malignant cell and directly kill it. Um, And that's how a lot of of your viral clearance and 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 responses to cancer are actually done. And those immune cells arise from from cells in your bone marrow, and we teach them how to we teach them how to fight at a school. It's called the thymus, and that's where the T and T cell comes from. is the is a uh, an organ that you have that sits above your heart, and that's where your, your T cells are 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 essentially trained to attack foreign invaders. The other one that we can't forget about are your B cells. And your B cells arise in your bone marrow, and they they make antibodies. And so those are the cells that you want to stimulate. And your antibodies are your kind of circulating neutralizers. They're basically, you know, they're, they're proteins that find and you know foreign objects, foreign, foreign invaders, and, and kind of bind them and, and neutralize them. And so those are kind of the, the players of your immune of, of your immune response. And in in cancer therapy. What we've really changed the game on is actually being able to to stimulate and deploy these various soldiers in your army, so to speak, to not just fight infection, but to actually utilize your immune system as a cancer therapy. And this has really changed the game in, in the field of cancer at this point.
1: Where are these cells created? So you said that T cells, I guess, will be instructed or mature in the thymus, but... Again, what is responsible for creating these various cells?
2: So, so the cells arise, so it's all actually comes from a lineage. So your bone marrow cells are where your immune system comes from. They have all of the progenitors. And as they get different signals during development, as you grow up and mature, then those cells get different signals. So these progenitor type cells, we call them, they're, they're stem cells. And those stem cells receive the right; they get the right signals at the right time to either form into B cells, to form into T cells, to form into innate cells. And so, over the course of your of your development and maturity, those cells get all of these signals, and and it, and it essentially instructs them how to proceed. And that happens throughout life. You're always generating new immune uh, immune cells, and those immune cells then populate your body in various places. Um, they take up residence in your tissues. They also circulate continuously in the blood and then they live in certain depots in your body, including your spleen and in your lymph.
1: Okay. So that's where they go to die. But again, where they're generated is, yeah, I guess they have a very complicated life cycle. They're generated in one spot. They move around everywhere. There's, I'm sure the T cell, the T cell and T to B communication, you know, there's a maturation for T cells. I mean, Then they get chewed up in the spleen and other spots so it's uh interesting
2: yeah so every so generally what happens is your lymph nodes and your spleen are where they live they hang out there and as the rest of your body drains to those sites that's how b and t cells patrol they look for things that are in the lymph and that might that, that aren't supposed to be there and then and thus stimulate the response and that's all concentrated In your, in your spleen and lymph nodes, we call those your secondary lymphoid organs. That's where the cells live. And then when they get the right kind of stimulation, see the, they see their target, so to speak, then they, they grow like crazy and they form a a kind of a small clonal army that goes after those pathogens and they deploy to the blood to go find where it came from. And so that's why your lymph nodes get big when you get sick, right? Because you're, your T-cells and your lymph nodes are growing like crazy to try to find that um, infection and, and, and remove it.
1: Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives in our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Or why would there be swelling in the lymph nodes, for instance, when you get sick with certain conditions?
2: Because the lymph nodes that are growing are actually the cells that are proliferating. So when a T cell sees its target, it's gonna it's gonna proliferate, it's gonna make a copy of itself. And those copies are gonna make copies of themselves so that you're gonna gain numerically more cells. Remember, those T cells live in the lymph nodes. They're supposed to, they're staying there patrolling essentially the various, you know, the various they're, they're looking for anything that doesn't belong there, so to speak. And so when those T cells... so they, they, You mean, are they,
1: are they monitoring the lymph as a flow-through system? Is that what you think
2: they're doing? That's, that's not what I think they're doing. That's literally what they're doing. Yeah. So as, as the lymph comes through the lymph node, then that's the place where the immune system gets a, gets a crack at things. And as they, if they see something that's not supposed to be there, that cell gets activated and it proliferates like crazy. And as it's proliferating, of course, it becomes you know one. And this proliferation that these T cells do, this division, is rapid. So you know we're talking about you know a you know hundredfold expansion of those T cells. So that's going to cause your lymph node to get big. So it's actually full of cells that are that are getting ready mm-hmm. to go out and uh, and try to find that infection and remove it.
1: So they're monitoring the lymph, then they proliferate, then they leave the lymph nodes and. I guess, through signaling, go to the spot that needs their attention?
2: Essentially. Um, and there's a lot of ways that that happens. Um, so your lymphocytes patrol your blood. So they, they enter into the blood from the lymph nodes or the spleen and they circulate and they look for sites of inflammation and they and they enter. And so they are able to kind of squeeze in between cells and they go patrol and try to find those other infected cells as a, as a means to, to stop. The spread of either the infection or the malignancy.
1: Okay. So I guess they're, they're following, uh, I guess just chemical chemotaxis, like chemical trails, biochemical trails to lead them to the spot.
2: Exactly. So they generally go to sites of inflammation first. And so that site that's going to be, you know, infected is going to be giving off kind of signals that will look, that will look strange, if you will, chemotactic signals indeed. And that causes the T cells as they're kind of coming by in the bloodstream, they'll attach to the, They'll attach to the to the walls of the tissue essentially, and they do what's called extravasation, which is they they enter into that tissue from the bloodstream.
1: Okay. Has anyone been able to in mice, let's say, induce inflammation in an area that's not inflamed, and watch to see if you know, for instance, T cells would uh, if mice have them, you know, would go to that spot? Can you um, you know, can you deliberately again call the T cells with signaling and get them to go where you want? Do we understand how the signaling work?
0: If you like this podcast. Please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a whole pattern of, of, uh, trafficking. You know, we call it, you know, T cell trafficking moves is how T cells get from one place to another, right? So it's not absolutely different types of infections, different types of chemical agents, different types of stimuli can change the pattern of what we call chemokine expression. So chemokines are, are ways that you get cells to move to one place or another and t cells become extremely sensitive to chemokines and that's how they kind of get into tissues how they know to get into tissues they also express a number of, of receptors so the uh, molecules on their cell surface that actually allow them to attach and get, kind of get stuck to the sides of of blood vessels near inflamed sites so it's not just like a deliberate movement it's also getting kind of kind of hooked in to the right to the right places in the body and those those features are kind of how your immune system moves around and we can take advantage of for various therapeutic applications.
1: Hmm, okay. And in cancer, what's noticed that what T-cells will, will they go to a site of, uh, of a tumor or then they stop going? Um, is the cancer like totally cut off signaling so that no T-cells will
2: go there or just to reduce the amount? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. And so we've known for, we've actually known since the civil war, that some people have lymphocytes in their tumor. We didn't know what they were at the time. We just knew that they were they were. It was an immune cell that didn't look like. Right. But you know, ain't, you know, really, I mean, Civil War times, we knew that if if a patient had a lymphocyte in their in their cancer, they were more likely to do better. They did better than those that didn't, and that's absolutely true to this day. Some some cancer patients have T cells in their tumor, and some cancer patients don't. Some cancer patients have T cells in their tumor, but they're stuck on the outside of the tumor rather than infiltrating deep into the tumor. And so we have these immunologic classifications of cancer that are kind of individually known in the cancer field. And we've known for a long time that T cells in your tumor predict better prognosis. So because of that, of those data, right? We've always known that it's a the, the possibility exists that you might be able to turn on those t cells and stimulate them to attack the tumor cell and that's been you know the in the, in the last 20 years has really come to the forefront of cancer treatment the the last you know cancer therapy has always been in, in has always been about kind of you know cutting it out or poisoning it with chemotherapy and we're now realizing in in many types of cancer we can use the immune system in one way or the other to attack that tumor and not just the tumor that you can see, but the distant, maybe invisible metastases that ultimately, um, you know, that, that ultimately cause a patient to succumb to their disease. So it's been a really, really exciting time to be an immunologist because we're now learning that cancer is most certainly an immune mediated disease, but probably more importantly, it's one that we can really treat with the immune system.
1: You said that in some tumors there'll be lymphocytes in them, and that's a better clinical outcome or correlates with it. What about in uh, metastases at the same time? Have uh, scientists observed that you know lymphocytes are inside them too, and you know what does it look like? Are there more of them in the metastases or less versus the primary?
2: That's a, that's a good question, and it's different from patient to patient. But generally um, generally speaking, patients that have a lot of T cells in their tumor tend to have immunologically active tumors, which means even the metastases also have lymphocytes within them. And again, that's all generally considered to be, you know, again, people do well after surgery, better after surgery than, uh, if they have lymphocytes in their tumor, than those that do not have lymphocytes in their tumor. But now what we're learning is that patients with lymphocytes in their tumor that would have an immune, immunologically active cancer respond very well to therapies that boost their immune system. And so um, now we're, again, trying to tackle this problem of one, how do we, you know, effectively reinvigorate T cells inside tumors? And number two, for the patients that don't have T cells in their tumor, how do we get T cells to their tumor? And those have been some, some some bigger questions. Yeah. T cells see tumors the way they see any other, any other infected tissue. They kind of, Tumors are most certainly inflammatory so that can cause T cells to get there and once they get there um, you know they patrol just like they do any other part of your body
1: Well so the T cells in a tumor are they active are they asleep like do you know what's going on with them like are they eating anything like what are they doing what are they up to
2: yeah so generally speaking by the time a patient has clinically apparent cancer right not the not, not you know not something that can't be seen clinically you know, the, the classic dogma is that the immune system has tried and failed, right? So the, the cancer, cancer cells mutate and proliferate constantly. And so they're able to develop strategies to either evade the immune system or suppress it. And so generally speaking, when you're looking at T cells inside tumors, these are T cells that have been shut down. And so we have a term for this, we call it exhaustion. Are
1: they alive? They're just hanging out
2: in there? Or what are they doing? Exactly, they're inert. So these are T cells that are inside your tumor, but they are um, they're exhausted. They're they're being kept alive. They're still alive because they know how to these T cells can thrive in various different types of environments, but they don't work properly. And
1: well, could they how would you compare their state to T cells in a lymph node where there's no inflammation? They're just hanging out there. Are they the yes. same level of activity or are they more dormant in a tumor?
2: No, so they're at so the so the differences in the, the the cells that are in the lymph node, the T cells that are living in your lymph node. They're just waiting. You know, they're waiting to see the the target that they're specific. But the cells that are in your tumor, the T cells in your tumor have been actively shut down. They've been actively suppressed. And there are a lot of mechanisms by which T cells are suppressed. But the type of kind of inactivity that happens in cancer is one of, that's one that's energetic. That when T cells get into tumors, they lose, you know, they kind of lose their metabolic sufficiency they um and so one of the things for instance we uncovered a few years ago was if you take a t cell out of a tumor and you look at it metabolically you look at its metabolism um it actually has very small and very poorly active mitochondria which are the you know organelles that we use to generate energy in our cell and so as t cells get into tumors they kind of they experience stress that causes their mitochondria to become atrophied, because kind of break down, and this is very causative in their dysfunction. So as they kind of stay in that tumor environment, which has a very, very, you know, kind of harsh landscape, those T cells essentially get the, the ability to generate energy kind of depleted, and and that is, is is really a driving factor in why they don't work.
1: So all right, so I guess. You- you know, scientists have compared T cells inside a tumor versus T cells inside the lymph node. So they're, you know, they're completely inactivated, like you're saying, inside of the tumor. Yes. Have have, uh, people tried various uh, therapies and things to reactivate them in the tumor microenvironment? Like, are there any thoughts on what's needed to activate them again?
2: Right. So, and so this has been, you know, kind of the, again, in the last 20 years, we've really seen a lot of activity in this space. So the first, the first kind of, set of really true successes in this field have been really trying to change the signals that those T cells receive. And so this has been called, uh, this is called checkpoint blockade or uh, immune checkpoint blockade, they call it. But it's basically using, you know, drugs that are aimed at kind of blocking and changing the way that the T cells see cancer cells. So the thing you have to remember about cancer cells is that they're you, right? Cancer cells are kind of like you gone wrong, but they're still yourself. And cancer cells mutate a lot and they learn, they, they kind of evolve to turn off your immune system. And, and the way that T cells are turned off is when they kind of touch up against their targets. The, the cancer cell turns on these molecules on their cell surface that essentially act as a break on the T cells and, and shut it down. And so the immunotherapies of the last 20 years aimed at, at using drugs that would block those breaks so that the T cell doesn't get that negative signal and it will attack the cancer cell. And so the first one of these was called, was a molecule uh, that blocked a, uh, one of these breaks on it on the surface of the T cell called CTLA-4. And and this drug, it's called ipilimumab, is a, is, is an antibody that blocks the, blocks that CTLA-4 molecule. And it was, um, it was tried in melanoma and you got some really remarkable results that some patients did extremely well in the therapy such that. They were stage four, you know, uh, fated to die, and they actually experienced complete remissions, complete responses to the drug. And that was extremely exciting. Another mm. another drug came about just after, kind of happening in parallel to this other molecule on the cell surface of T cells called PD-1, which also acts as a break on the immune response. And kind of in parallel, people were developing drugs to the PD-1 break. And those drugs have have had widespread success in a number of different cancer indications, lung cancer, kidney cancer, melanoma, and many, many others now. Um, and you can even combine the two and get an even, an even greater response um, to these therapies. But the big, and, and all of these, again, are involved around like kind of telling a T cell that it should turn on, not off in response to cancer cells. I think the kind of interesting, the interesting kind of conundrum though, is that people that go on these immune-based therapies Some of them do extremely well and they respond beautifully to immunotherapy and they can and and they can have a a significant extension of their life. And, And in many cases, some of these patients are, you know, are cured. But I think the the other side of the problem is that it's really only a subset of patients, really less than 50%, sometimes, sometimes only 10 or 20%, depending on what kind of cancer it is, will experience that benefit. And the other folks that went on that drug, they don't get any benefit at all. And so that's where you know my lab has really been interested in and, in and many other labs for that matter is what really defines whether or not a patient's going to respond to these immune based therapies and we think that the metabolism is an, is a major part of that, that the ability of the t cells to get energy and to make their own to make their own energy is going to be really you know decisive in whether or not that T-cell can respond to these drugs.
1: Well, where do the uh, T-cells hang out in the tumor? Are they in the hypoxic or anoxic regions? So I guess they wouldn't survive. Are they on the outer edge? Does that tell you anything? Do they, do they form structures? Or are they just kind of loosely hanging out in there?
2: That's a really great question. Uh, T-cells are in, it depends. And I, and I know that it's that's, a, that's, not a, that's not a great answer, but when you're talking about cancer and, and humans, right, Everybody's cancer is unique. Everybody's cancer is different. Arise of their own unique constellation of of mutations and evolution that have happened in that cancer environment. But generally speaking, when T cells are in a tumor, they are generally, you know, when they come in, some patients have T cells that are everywhere. So we call that a really immunologically active or hot tumor. The T cells are within tumor and they're ready to kind of attack. And they can live, T cells can live in hypoxic regions. It's not good for them, but they can withstand hypoxia. Um, and live in the absence of oxygen for, for a little while. Over time, it can be really deleterious to the T cell, but, but they can live in some of those areas. But some, some patients have what are called immune excluded tumors where the T cells kind of line around, line up around the outside of the tumor bed, but they never really penetrate deep in. And that is because there's a lot of reasons for that, but a major reason is because some T, some tumor cells can secrete a lot of collagen and essentially make a physical barrier. To, um to the infiltration of the T cells into that into the into the tumor bed and and indeed um, there are structures that form immune structures that can form inside of a tumor and these are generally considered to be a good prognostic indicator of tumors. we call these tertiary lymphoid structures or essentially um, an amalgamation of different types of immune cells working together to form a new to, to form a stronger immune response. so this will be you know B cells, T cells, and members of that innate immune system that I, that I alluded to at the beginning, kind of all collaborating uh, to, to generate a, a new, more diverse immune response. And so these structures are present in the um, you know, near and sometimes within solid tumors, and they can actually um be very uh, it's a very um favorable prognosis when 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 patients have um lymphoid structures in their tumor.
1: Okay, so right, so scientists are seeking to activate them since they're there. Is there any point in culturing T cells if that could be done, and you know, flooding the body with a ton more of them? What would that do to uh, tumors that are hot versus not? Would it make them, you know, would it do anything to them, or it would just not affect them at all? You think?
2: You're talking about an entire field of immunotherapy. So I was talking a lot, you know, just recently about this immune checkpoint blockade going after these breaks, right? Like kind of in parallel for the last you know, 20, you know, 20, 30 years or so, people have been exploring exactly what you're talking about, right? Which is how do you make, can you numerically enhance the a patient's immune response uh, to tumors? And this was really by uh, folks at the NCI um, in Frederick, uh, the National Cancer Institute, um, Steve Rosenberg being, the, being the, the, the main pioneer in this, who back in the late 80s was really taking pieces of a patient's tumor that, that were removed from surgery and adding a bunch of growth factors and essentially growing the T cells in a dish. Um, and so this is called TIL therapy. TIL stands for tumor infiltrating lymphocytes. And so, you know, these folks and, and now TIL therapy is used in a number of different places where you can grow T cells from a biopsy essentially of a tumor, a surgical kind of piece of the tumor. You grow them to extreme numbers in, in a dish, and then you infuse them back into the patients. Um, and it's been, and there's been some really notable successes of using till therapy as an immune based therapy, but it's still pretty niche. Um, that's only some people respond and it's, so it doesn't work universally and not, not a lot of patients, not all patients have till to expand. So sometimes that that it just doesn't work. You're not able to get you're not able to harvest enough T cells from the tumor to be able to create an army in vitro. And so
1: do you have to harvest T cells from the tumor, or can you harvest them from
2: lymph nodes where they haven't gone to the tumor yet
1: and been, you know, put to sleep?
2: That's a great question. And it it kind of gets back to immunology. and, And that's that T cells are individually, they're they're clonal. So that means that every T cell expresses a receptor that finds a particular kind of target. And so the T cells in your lymph node they are going to be specific for all kinds of things, not just tumor. And so by isolating the T cells from the tumor, you're getting the T cells that are most likely specific for tumor, if that makes, you know, if that makes sense.
1: But, but is there any problem because they've been silenced? Are they affected permanently or, you know, they're still better because they've encountered the tumor microenvironment? Have kind of gone maybe one or two rounds with the tumor, but now they've been silenced. So are they better than ones that have never seen the tumor directly, or not? You know, is there a trade off there? Is what I'm
2: asking. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you bring up a very very good point, and that is some patients may have T cells that are just completely exhausted, completely inert, and so they're not going to be the ones that are going to be able to grow till very well. Or if they do able, if they are able to grow from that biopsy very well, they may be they. They won't be effective. And other patients may have T cells that are less exhausted and they may do better after you expand them in a dish. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, It's tough to tell, but there's no way to reliably get those kind of tumor reactive T cells from the blood or from the lymph nodes. So, you kind of have to start from the tumor. But it's an interesting thing that you bring up because some people have that exact same kind of conundrum, right? Which is why are we trying to grit these T cells? from the tumor where we know they've been rendered inert. Is there a way for us to make T-cells see tumor on their own, right? To take healthy T-cells and use those T-cells and kind of redirect them towards towards tumor tumor target. And that was really the advent of what are called chimeric antigen receptor T-cells or CAR T-cells. And these are T-cells that are taken from the blood. So these are T-cells that are healthy. They aren't, they haven't been rendered inert inside that tumor environment, but now they're engineered with a receptor, something of a protein that's going to sit on their cell surface that recognizes an antigen that's going to be present on a tumor. And you use genetic engineering to put this receptor into T cells, thus arming them and directing them towards a tumor. So you do that kind of manipulation in vitro in a, in a dish, and then you grow up the T cells. And you deliver them back to the patient. And these types of T cells, car T cells, have had extreme success in certain types of cancer, namely liquid cancers or hematologic malignancies, most notably in um, B cell leukemia. And these the T cells in this, um, in these environments, you know, they can do quite a lot when they're given this, you know, they've been given specificity for a tumor and it's been really exciting to watch that field kind of progress and in, i think it was in 2017 you know that th- this was the first fda approved um gene therapy essentially um that where you know a patient with with b cell leukemia could send out their blood it would get transformed into tumor tumor fighting t cells and those tumor t- those t cells would be delivered back and and that patient could experience very very uh, durable and and and, and um, remarkable responses to that therapy. It's been really exciting, but we haven't been able to make CAR T cells yet against solid tumors. They work really well in certain types of hematologic malignancies, but we haven't been able to find. We haven't been able to to really outfit them.
1: Not you, but are are scientists taking T cells that are within a tumor and culturing those? And then re-injecting them back into the tumor, whether CAR T or some other modification, or are they yeah. taking ones against that are hanging out in the lymph node that are naive, and then CAR T, you know, putting this this weapon on them, this CAR T or you know, whatever I call overlay over them, and then sending them into the tumor. And are they injecting them into it, or are they just letting the circulatory system bring them to the tumor? How does the therapy
2: actually look? Yeah, that's that's great. So tail therapy just grows them from the tumor as I was mentioning before, you know, you just add growth factors and the T cells will expand in vitro. But these CAR T cells are made from healthy T cells. These CAR T cells are made from the blood, which is mostly you know, healthy circulating T cells that can be easily accessed by a doctor, right? So they can harvest the T cells from, from just any, from a blood sample. And they are, uh, that the CAR is essentially engineered into the T cell and then Grown up. So then they grow those T cells in vitro. So you have a lot of them and then they're injected back into the patient. Now here's the big, the big, that's the big thing is these, these T cells are delivered intravenously because you don't just want them to go to the A tumor. You want them to patrol your body, just like any other T cell would do and find all of the tumor, not just the one that is obvious, but the distant, you know, metastases or even micrometastases that you can't attack. And, and that's going to really you know, that's what's really important is that, you know, these T cells that that we're using for therapy, these T cells essentially become like a living drug, right? Those T cells are going to always patrol your body for their targets. And that's what we want. You know, that's why we get vaccinated. That's why, you know, why, you know, you only get the chickenpox once, right? Because your T cells then patrol your body for that virus, if it were ever. And that's kind of what we want in cancer, right? We don't want to worry about cancer coming back. So if you can, If you can educate your immune system one way or the other, maybe that's the T cell therapy, maybe that's checkpoint blockade and reinvigorating that immune response. What the goal is, is to educate your immune system such that whenever that tumor were to come back, those T cells will attack.
1: I don't know, has anyone ever thought to try to inject it again directly into a tumor?
2: Yes, actually there's an entire class of intratumoral therapies that are used. Now you can inject all kinds of stuff into tumors, Some to that, and that's great for some, for, for patients that have accessible tumors. Um, you know, that's why a lot of the immune, immune based therapies were originally done in melanoma because number one, it's very immunologically active. And number two, the metastases are usually the cutaneous metastases are easily accessible. But some patients don't have accessible tumors. They have to be ultrasound guided, et cetera. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of therapies are delivered intratumorally, things that are aimed at stimulating the immune response. Many different types of therapies are used. Chemical messengers for the immune system, um, things that are, are designed to, uh, to destroy tumor cells, including things like modified viruses that, are used, that, that can replicate in tumor cells and, and, and cause them to lice. But for, um, for
1: CAR-T, like, where does the choice of the CAR come from? And does it affect preferentially all the tumors or are they different enough where it could affect only the primary or only metastases?
2: So the CAR, right, the the CAR, you know, so CAR stands for chimeric antigen receptor. And, right. and, and to, to basically just break it down, it's an antibody. So how, so it's a piece of an antibody that would normally be floating around in your body that's designed to neutralize something. And you take a piece of an antibody that, that recognizes a tumor and you make a chimera out of it. So you make a receptor that on the outside looks like an antibody, but on the inside has all of the, the parts that would stimulate a T cell. So it is going to act, so it acts like a T cell's kind of native receptor, how it would normally see a pathogen, but instead that antibody fragment on the outside is can be can, can be triggered by a tumor.
1: I ask because I've heard, you know, 80 million times that tumors are heterogeneous and, and the metastases are even more heterogeneous than the initial, you know, primary, so how do you know what to target? How do you choose? Are there many targets? And again, does it, does it apply to all cancer cells within someone?
2: Yeah, I mean, you bring up a very good point. And that's the main reason why I think we haven't tackled, we haven't been able to deploy CAR T-cells against solid tumors is because there isn't a good target. There isn't a good target that is not only, it can't just be on all tumor, which is what you what you want, but it also needs to not be on anything normal right? You don't want that thing on the cell surface to be on anything that's on your normal tissues because then the T cells will attack those tissues as well. So Mm. the current CAR T cells that are used actually target a molecule called CD19. And a CD19 is on the surface of B cells. So, and that's used to attack B cell leukemias, a cancer of your B cells, right? And so it's take the, the the reason why CAR T cells were, have been so successful is because they used an antibody that recognizes B cells, and so and it works extremely well depleting B cells. But it also means that patients that get CAR T cells also don't have any healthy B cells. They don't have P, they don't have B cell cancer, but they also don't have B cells either. Luckily, you can live without B cells. You don't need B cells to live. You know to live a normal life and patients that have received many patients that have received, you know, these remarkable responses to car T cells in B cell leukemias will live their lives without any B cells. They just, those T cells, will, the, the car T cells inside them will always keep hitting the B cells. So that's, that's why we've had success in, in, in malignancies is because cancers of the blood have very defined markers that those, that they can, that, that you can generate um, these cars to we do not have that luxury in solid tumors. There hasn't been yet uh, okay. a, 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 an antigen that's present on solid tumors that either one is is going to be on the, on the tumors that you want, and number two isn't on a normal cell that you can't afford to lose.
1: So I guess then uh, what, uh, liquid tumors are a bit less heterogeneous than solid tumors? And also the structure too, I guess, would act as multiple layer barriers to get to the, you know, to the heart of the tumor as well. Absolutely.
2: And certain kinds of hematologic malignancies that have more of a, a niche, that have a more of a reservoir, maybe they live more in the bone marrow, they're, they've been harder to target. And many and other malignancies that have a lot of heterogeneity haven't been targeted yet well with so it's not a one size fits all kind of thing but right now people with B, B cell certain kinds of B cell leukemia and certain kinds of B cell lymphoma they can go on you know this CAR T cell therapy and, and, and really expect to see some some major benefits but it's not the case for for you know for the rest of the cancer world well, quick, that's why we have these here, kinds, um... yes.
1: T and B cells release, uh, I would guess they release extracellular vesicles. Is anyone studying the signaling that goes on amidst the uh, T's and B's and T's that are trained in the thymus and, you know, T's when they get in the vicinity of a tumor or inflammation? I would think there's a whole bunch of communication going on, maybe even quorum sensing amongst T cells, you know, are there enough of us to do a certain job, that kind of thing?
2: Absolutely. So T cells are, by their nature, are signal integrators. That's what they do. That's they receive they receive signals from the cell surface. That's you know when they kiss up against the target, or when they receive chemical messengers, which we call cytokines, right? That bind their receptors and deliver signals to the in, inside of the cell. So they're signal integrators. They take all that stuff, they make a decision, and then they start secreting their own cytokines to the other cells in the milieu. So these so T cells absolutely collaborate with one another. They work with other. With with other with other cells, and they use either cell surface communication or they use soluble mediators to deliver those signals. They do they, so. Immune cells do utilize like exosomes or estrus, extracellular vesicles to deliver to, to to deliver signals as well. They're a little bit less studied than these other kind of chemical messengers, but these things absolutely um absolutely do occur. So when T cells get near a tumor. They absolutely, you know, play this role of talking to one another, proliferating when they can, and then, and then getting inside that tumor environment. But that's when things go crazy because no matter what kind of signals they're getting, right? Whether or not it's accelerators in the form of, you know, stimulatory cytokines or, you know, the right kind of positive signals to, you know, to kill a target cell or whether or not it's breaks. You know, these co inhibitory molecules like CTLA4 and PD1, like I was talking about earlier, that kind of turn off the immune response. There's no fuel in that environment. There's no, there are no metabolites that are, that, that are present because the tumor is kind of eating them all. And so when those T cells get into that tumor, regardless of the signals that they're getting, there's no, there's no energy, there's no fuel in that environment. And so the T cells can't really get going. And I think, you know, that's something that, again, in my lab, we study a lot of trying to understand. What are the metabolic requirements for an effective T-cell response against cancer? And how can we deliver those, those metabolites or those metabolic signals to T-cells in a way that they can thrive in that environment?
1: I mean, you said at the very beginning, depending on the nutrient composition, the T-cells act very differently. So again, in a tumor, you got hypoxic and you know, in fully oxygenated regions. Where do the T-cells tend to become trapped or inactive or hang out and... You know, what kind of nutrient mix can you get once you're within the confines of, let's say, a solid tumor? You know, maybe the the outermost layer, I don't know. I mean, I don't even have the nutrition, the tumor gets nutrition. So, again, what kind of dynamics go on there?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of very complex dynamics within, within a tumor. And that is because, you know, tumors are tumors evolve over time, right? So they develop their own blood supply, right? So they're and they're angiogenic, but that blood supply is not correct. In other words, It's not the typical blood supply that you get. It's actually this kind of tortuous vasculature. And so the tumor is really, really, really well perfused and super oxygenated in some areas of the tumor. And then other areas of the tumor are very, very hypoxic. And this makes a big difference for kind of what the whole metabolic landscape is inside of the tumor microenvironment as we call it. And so a T cell, depending on whether or not it's just entered in from the bloodstream, things might be fine, right? perfectly perfused, plenty of nutrients, but that's not where the real problem is. The cells might be, the, the tumor originating cells may be, you know within these hypoxic regions. And so, like I said before, T-cells can withstand being in low oxygen tension, but if the other features, it's not just the low oxygen. Tumors, of course, eat a lot of sugar, right? They're dominant metabolizers of glucose. That's what we use to find tumors. In fact, if you get a PET scan, right? What, what a PET scan actually shows you is the glucose uptake of cells in your body. And so we know that tumors are extremely metabolically active and so they take up a lot of glucose. So that's how you find tumors in a full body scan. Now that has major consequences because T cells also need glucose to to function just like all of our other cells in our body. And so it's a land grab, so to speak for certain types of metabolites, not just glucose but amino acids, lipids in some cases, these are all in competition. But I think what complicates matters even more is that it's not just, and this is something we've really discovered a lot of in in, in the lab and and many other groups as well, is that it's not just that the tumor kind of eats all the good stuff. It's that it's also in certain areas of the tumor, remember that vasculature is not great. So the tumor actually spews out all of the, the toxic byproducts of that metabolism, all the waste products. And so it's not just that the tumor eats all the glucose. It's also that it spits out all this lactic acid. And that lactic acid can really dampen the immune response. So like it's not just lactate, of course. It's, vi- it's many, many other catabolites of, of all this heightened metabolism that's happening inside the tumor. These can act as very, very potent immunosuppressive agents. So I think a lot of things now going forward are actually aimed at kind of tempering and removing those those kind of toxic metabolites from the tumor and making it a little less harsh on the immune system as well.
1: I would guess there's people that study the uh, the outer the, the outermost shells or the uh, the layering of the structure of tumors and what can transit through them and what can't.
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of folks out there that that really try to you know figure out some of the you know geography or topography if you will of tumors. You know it's 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 different. Like I said, you know everybody's cancer is different. You can study it in mice, of course, in in, in models of mice and in preclinical models. Um, which have functioning immune systems and, and, you know, and a lot of our immunotherapies were originally designed, you know, and, 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 and tested in animals and mice. But, um, you know, the way that mice get cancer is usually experimentally. You either put tumor cells into mice and they grow, or you, you know, have to induce cancer, you know, rapidly so that you can, you know, study it in, in a reasonable amount of time. And so, you know, they don't have the same features, uh, that, that your typical immune, your, your typical human tumor would look like, but that being said, there's a lot of interest in understanding how different parts of of a single solid tumor or other individual tumors would, uh, you know, how immune active some areas are versus versus others. And I think the study of that, of understanding, you know, where there's a lot of immune activity versus where there isn't, you know, these are actually really helping scientists understand the nature of immune regulation in cancer. But I think probably more importantly. It's starting now um, with the aid of kind of computer assisted uh, pathology. It's actually helping doctors make decisions about immunotherapy is that by kind of getting a good look at a patient's tumor before you start treatment, you can actually try to design the right kind of immunotherapeutic approach to take advantage of that patient's own tumor, so to speak. You know, it, does this patient have an immune active tumor? Does it have an immune, do they have an immune excluded tumor? Do they have any immune infiltrate at all? Where is that infiltrate? And by gaining some of that information, you can actually help guide the clinical decisions for therapy.
1: Is there any way to tell the uh, level of T cell infiltration without biopsying the tumor? You know, looking for just blood markers or looking in, you know, some of the, uh, let's say, adjacent lymph nodes and at the condition and number of uh, T cells there?
2: Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to, so right now we only have a couple of you know very uh, bespoke if you will ways to tell whether or not a t cell can see a tumor meaning if you just by looking at it you can't really tell what it responds to you have to kind of look indirectly to figure that out um and so you know that that's that's a that's a big hurdle to overcome it doesn't mean that we can't do it but right now it's very difficult to get kind of like the the non invasive way of doing it but yeah. So right now, if you really want to figure out if a person's got an immune active tumor, you have to look in the tumor and look at a, at a, at a tumor biopsy to be able to figure that out. I don't think that's going to be the case forever. And I think our advances in being able to predict how T cells behave and, and, and what we can do with, you know, based on sequencing and, and understanding the genetics of an individual T cell, I think we will be able to get to the point where you'll be able to tell whether or not a patient has an ongoing immune response to their tumor, basically based on a blood sample.
1: Have you guys worked or seen anyone work with the tumor organoids and can the tumor organoids house T cells and silence them?
2: Yes. I mean, I think, you know, the organoid field is really great because it gives, you always have to play, the problem is whenever you're doing, whenever you're trying to do conclusive science, you're kind of stuck in this field in in, in cancer, right? You're either, you're working with tumor biopsies and you're just trying to see what you can see, or you're working in mouse models where, you know, there's going to be obvious issues translating that to humans. Uh, because you have to use their speed. And, you know, they're, it's not, re, you know, it's not proper cancer the way that it naturally develops. So, I mean, you know, somewhere in the middle, you know, what can you do in vitro? And you can't just, you know, culture T cells with tumor cells, you don't really get the same kind of immune suppression, the way that you would in, in vivo, in, in, in an animal or in, in in a person. But organoids are really interesting, because those tumors do start to form a little bit of an environment. And some of the time you can actually seed those organoids, those little tumor spheres or whatever you want to call them with T-cells. And indeed, absolutely T-cells that are, that are specific for that tumor, they will infiltrate into the tumor and become inactivated. That's part of the, um, and you know, there's a lot of labs that do that kind of analysis, you know, you know, taking patient T-cells, taking um, patient tumor biopsies, and actually trying to replicate a lot of this in the dish using these kind of three-dimensional culture systems.
1: Can you fluorescently tag or radioactively tag T-cells? And then in in vivo, like in a mouse model, for instance, culture T-cells, mark them, release them, and see how they interact and how they enter into a cell and, oh, sorry, how they enter enter into the tumor and how they become changed. Is there any way to do this, again, in, in a mouse model?
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is what we, you know, this is what we do all the time in in, in our lab. This you know, this is called adoptive transfer. You know, my, mice are great because you can track their T cells. Move. You can move T cells from one mouse to another, and if, if they're if they're on a, a different enough background, you can follow those T cells using a number of different technologies. And so, yeah, we do this stuff, this kind of stuff all the time. We can take T cells from one mouse and modify them or not. And we know that they're gonna be specific for tumor antigens because we've engineered them that way. And then we can infuse them into a tumor-bearing mouse and study their behavior as they get into the system, go to the lymph node, ultimately migrate into the tumor and then become inactivated. And by using that trajectory of those T-cells as we move them, we can see kind of what are the features that drive the immune suppression or immune inactivation in that environment. And then go back and make genetic changes to the T cells and try to prevent that from from happening or, you know, different things that you can add to the mix, you know, uh, different treatments of the mice, different genes that you can express or delete in the T cells and ultimately see kind of what is the, did you, were you able to avoid that immune activation or exhaustion or did you, did you uncover some of the pieces that are a part of it? And so that, that kind of work is something that we, you know, is part and parcel of a lot of cancer immunology labs using, you know, using T cells from one mouse and transferring them and, and being able to track them over time and, and track their activity.
1: So T cells can burrow into a tumor, no matter its structure, or there's some tumors that keep them out completely.
2: There are different types of tumors that exclude immune cells. And that can happen through a couple of different mechanisms. One I mentioned earlier is they can actually generate physical barrier. They can generate, you know, some, some tumors are derived from cells that can make collagen or they can make, you know, a, you know, a, a really kind of dense structure so that it actually prevents T cells from, from, from burrowing through. Other, other types of tumors aren't. They just aren't. They don't have that programming. So they don't generate that kind of physical barrier. Other types of tumors can create metabolic barriers like we talked about. They can, they can generate extreme hypoxic regions where, you know, T cells will get in, but then they stop moving. They don't, they, don't, uh, they run out of energy. So they, can, they kind of get stalled at the outside. Yeah. You know, I think that's kind of, you know, the take-home message when you're talking about cancer immunology is that the tumor has, the tumors have the benefit of time. They're persist, you know, when people have cancer, they've had that, that, that initiating event that caused that initial neoplastic event happened a very, very long time ago. And it's been this process of trial and error that cancer cell has used to develop all of these different suites of characteristics that allow them to evade immunity. And you know some cancers go rogue. You know they they stop presenting antigens, so they can't be detected by the immune cells. Some create more like immunosuppressive structures, like these physical barriers. And some cancers, you know, kind of harbor T cells, but kind of deplete them over time, like a war of attrition. And so by we have to study all of these features of cancer, identify the the kind of immunologic problems, and that's how we can design effective therapy by really kind of understanding all of the potential mechanisms. Of, of cancer immune evasion and suppression and realizing that these are not common. They're not like, it's not that all cancers do all those, all those three things. It's that everybody's cancer arises differently and we need to learn better what's happening. And we need to also know how to find those features in patients. So again, that we can guide the right decisions to, you know, to, to effectively, you know, boost these, find a way to either numerically augment in the case of CAR T cells or, 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 the, or that till therapy to reinvigorate. In the case of you know checkpoint blockade, or or even you know even more heroic measures to kind of you know reinvigorate a patient's immune response um, to you know to their cancer.
1: I interviewed a, a researcher named Florencia who who's studying pancreatic tumors, and she saw that the pancreatic tumors. Had a different localized microbiome than the rest of the pancreas for liquid tumors or for T cells themselves or for solid tumor. Well, for solid tumors, I would think they would have their own, again, localized microbiome. But has anyone seen a microbiome of the blood or even individual T cells themselves? Do they have any hangers on, any microbes that that hang out with them and act as kind of maybe like a, a you know a quick version of the microbiome for them?
2: Yeah. So that's a. Um- what you're talking about is a, is it kind of a fascinating and, uh, and really hot area of, of research right now. And I, I know that worked very well, actually, but yeah, it's been, you know, understanding how your microbiome and your immune system interact. Cause that's a very, very active environment. Um, a lot of your immune system is in your, in your gut and keeping, keeping that, you know, the nature of, of, of that place at bay and also being able to derive benefit from, you know, from those commensals that live in your gut and help you digest food. But yeah, it's actually a few years ago, was found in in that kind of checkpoint blockade immunotherapy, that patients that have a certain kind of microbiome tend to do better on therapies than than patients that have a different kind of microbiome. And that's been just in their gut. And that actually the gut microbiome could help predict whether or not patients would respond to to immune-based therapies. And since then, it's been, you know, really explored about how the microbiome does interact with the immune and, and, and specifically the anti-cancer immune system. And, you know, tumors can have their own microbiome, especially if they're at barrier surfaces. Um, so they can have, you know, bugs that live within them. And you might be able to conscript, for instance, tumor-specific immunity to those places. We know that, you know, there's also kind of bystander effects that an active immune response against a bug could help promote a nearby immune response against the tumor. And then finally, the reason why we have microbes is because they help us digest our food and provide metabolites that we cannot make ourselves. And so again, I'm a metabolism person. I can't, you know, I I can't, you know, really not think that a major component of how microbes interact with our anti-cancer immune response is by directly, is by creating fuel that we can't make um, and that T cells may like. And so that's a that's a feature I think of this uh, of this interaction that's really exciting.
1: Yeah, like when you mentioned tumors that spit out a lot of uh, lactic acid and you know undergo a lot of uh, you know that, that fermentation process, I would think in short order they would attract microbes that like to feed on that, or some of the other metabolites generated, or again a, a tumor in general if there's a hypoxic or anoxic region, I was sure it would it would attract microbes that wouldn't normally hang out because they can deal with the anoxia or the hypoxia.
2: Absolutely. And so that depends critically on, you know, whether or not those bugs translocate from the gut and ultimately can make it, you know, have to get into the bloodstream and then ultimately find that tumor or whether or not, um, you know, what, what the, you know, what the pre-existing kind of landscape was, right? And again, if, if that tumor is at a barrier site, like in the skin or in, in the mucosa, then there's going to, it's going to be more likely That there are going to be there's going to be populations of those of that tumor with with bugs. The other possibility, of course, again, is that kind of translocation into the gut, and that of course can happen for a number of different reasons. So yeah, so I think this interaction between microbes, their metabolism, cancer cells, and then the ongoing immune response to all of these features, I think, is going to really help us define kind of like a you know a unified model of how we think not only tumor specific T cells, but also adjacent T-cells that are responding to maybe a different kind of, you know, foreign body, like a commensal microbiome or, or even, or, or even a pathogen, how those things are all going to interact with one another. And I think it's a, it's really a, a, um, an exciting future to see how those things all work together.
1: Yeah. Excellent. Well, Greg, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work? Where can they go?
2: So we, we obviously have a website. So you can find it at delgoflab.com. You can also uh, follow me on Twitter at Lab. we're very active talking about all the work that we're doing, exciting papers that we're publishing and, and all the, all the fun stuff that we get to do while we're, you know, while we're trying to trying to decode what's happening with our um, cancer immune response. And always, you you can always just reach out. I'm always happy to, to chat about these things.
1: Well, very good. Great. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. It's been
0: very interesting.
2: Great. Thank you, Richard. Talk to you soon. If you like this podcast, please
0: click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.